Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. Hey, I'm Mark Oppenheimer sitting in today for Colin McEnroe on The Colin McEnroe Show, and we're going to be talking about podcasting. We have a superstar lineup of people who are involved in the podcast world. Uh, I want to welcome to our show today, in no particular order, uh, Nicole Taylor. She's the host of Hot Grease, a podcast on Heritage Media Network. Hey, Nicole. Hey, thanks for having me, Mark. It is my pleasure. We also have Matthew Lieber. He's the co-founder and president of Gimlet Media. Hey, Matthew. Hi, Mark. Glad to be here. Thank you for coming. And it's Gimlet, not Gimlet, right? That's correct. I've been mispronouncing that drink in bar bars up and down the East Coast for two decades now. Uh, That's also, embarrassing, but we forgive you. It is, it is embarrassing. It shows how uncommitted a drinker I am. Uh, we have Jenna Weiss-Berman, who's the director of audio at BuzzFeed and who used to work for Public Radio. Hi, Jenna. Hey, how you doing? Thank you for being here. And Hi. also uh, Nicholas Kwa, who's the founder of Hot Pot, a podcasting newsletter, and he also works in audience development at Panoply. Hi, Nicholas. Hello. Thanks for coming. So I- I'll start with a, a little story uh, of my own, which is about two years ago, I was working on a piece for This American Life, and I was working with this producer named Sarah Koenig, and we were about, you know, I would say halfway through the lifespan of producing this segment, which ended up being a few months. And she said, you know, I got to hand you off to someone else because I'm, I'm doing this other thing. And I said, Sarah, what, you know, we, we're old buds. We've been, I've been pitching you stuff and you've been saying no for 10 years. And now you say yes and you're going to hand me off to someone else. And she said, well, I just got this other thing going and nothing personal. I'm, I'm handing everyone else off. And, and, you know, maybe it'll come to fruition, but probably not. And so she handed me off to the terrific Jonathan at This American Life. And then like six months later, that other thing hit and it was serial. And um, it introduced probably several million people to podcasting who may or may not have listened to them before. And and it, it certainly opened up the world of podcasting to the point where people like my dad were saying, how do I download this thing? Like what, where on my com- what button on my computer do I press? Um, but of course, podcasting is not that new, and I guess I want to start with uh, with Nicholas. And he, since you you write this newsletter that I that is a must read for people in the podcasting world, and I um, I want to invite our listeners out there uh, to call us at eight six zero two seven five seven two six six and and give our questions about podcasting to the whole panel. But let's start with you and say, what is? Can you talk a little bit about the evolution of this medium? What's what's the backstory? How old is it? And it, has there been growth in the last year or two, or is that just my perception? Oh Well, so the most important thing to actually understand about podcasting is that it's not necessarily a medium. Podcasting is a distribution method, and that's very key to understanding just where we're going and sort of where we are right now. Um, so podcasting is a distribution method. It's about 10 years old. We just crossed the 10-year anniversary mark about one or two weeks ago. Uh, and it was created essentially based on the, uh, the technology that powers the idea of RSS feeds. Um, and it's it's just a method for a lot of people to get, you know, certain audio files from point A to point B across the internet in an on-demand fashion. So, so go ahead. Yeah, I was just so. How is it different from radio? So or- radio is is broadcast. Radio is um, a thing that's piped over the airwaves, and it, it's persistent. It's ever streaming. It happens and it goes on. It lives without you. 
Uh, with a podcast, it's bottled. The, the ad metaphor I like to use is a running uh, radio is a running stream, and podcast it's a it's a bottled water. Um, and you, if you sort of follow through in that metaphor, you can kind of see where the problems are and what the differences are between the two mediums, uh, the two distribution channels. I mean, do we have a sense right now, Nicholas, of how how do we measure how big the distribution through podcasting has gotten? Uh, we have a sense if you wanted to aggregate the top 100 podcasts on um, on iTunes, you'd get a sense of a couple of million listeners. I mean, um, depends on where you're looking for. Are you talking about in terms of the audience size? Are you talking about audiences per show? Uh, where exactly are you looking for them here? Well, where, where, where should we look at them? I mean, if we're to compare it, if we're to get a sense of its cultural impact uh, versus radio, versus television, what, what's the best metric to think about? Well, the best metric would be to think about how um, sort of the Nielsen numbers that came out is the number of uh, people who, you know, a actually have heard of podcasts and be listen to podcasts regularly and see the sort of spectrum that happens between. I'm pretty sure Matt uh, Liebred Gimlet has a much better sense of um, how he wants to, uh, to tackle that question from a business standpoint. But for me, for and I, I operate primarily as an observer, um, I kind of think that the footprint is still relatively small, but it's growing steadily. Okay. Well, I want to get to Matt in a second, but first I, I want to ask Jenna because, Jenna, you, you now work for BuzzFeed, which is an, an online-only publication, uh, but you okay. used to work for public radio. So something, uh, maybe a big fat paycheck, I don't know, but something made you decide to switch <laughs> out of tra- traditional terrestrial radio or NPR, and public, which is different from public radio, but that world um, into – um, the online world, which includes producing podcasts. So wh- wh- why did you make that move? Right. I mean, the paycheck doesn't hurt, um, but it's <laughs> definitely not. Jenna, was the paycheck re- much bigger? <laughs> it was not much bigger, actually. It was, um, and you know, and NPR in D.C. pays really well. A lot of the affiliate stations pay a lot less, so it's, um, and a lot of the shows pay less and then some of the shows like this american life pay really well so it's sort of um sort of a grab bag but uh i am doing fine here at buzzfeed but the main thing was that um i felt like i really wanted to i wanted more creativity and there was an interesting article recently actually in current um the public radio publication about this uh, exact issue and I think that that is the reason that a lot of people are um, kind of leaving for new podcast companies is that um, there's just there's a lot more kind of room for us to be creative. Um, you don't have to be at a show for, you know, 15 years before you get any kind of creative control. I loved public radio and I loved the shows I worked on, um, but I, I wanted to try something really new. And um, I also wanted to try something really different. So... Um, the first show that we uh, that we launched here is it's hosted by two young black women, and that is um, a demographic, a host demographic that is very often left out of um, a public radio and a listening demographic too. So, um, and I wasn't seeing too many changes happening in that realm in public radio, and I thought maybe I could try something on the outside that hopefully would influence the inside a bit. Uh, and I am gonna I'm gonna argue a little bit with, with Nick when he says that podcasting is just a distribution system. It obviously that's true, but I think that podcasting has really taken on um, a life of its own, and I'm excited to be a part of that. Uh, I think it's a it is something that like I, the shows that I'm working on, we're never gonna try to appeal to you know 15 million person morning edition audience. That's never gonna be our goal. So. 
Um, the the impact I don't think is just measured by numbers. It's also you know we've been getting really great coverage and we get these beautiful emails all the time saying like I've never heard my voice reflected, um, you know, on the radio. And so there's there's that kind of impact. And I think that when you're looking when you're when you're kind of looking for a smaller but more devoted audiences, it can be really creatively freeing in a lot of ways. So I'm I'm excited to be doing this. Matthew, I do want to ask because Nick had suggested that you might have a different way of thinking about the metrics. Um, your group, Gimlet Media, it, it involves several people who used to be on more traditional uh, public radio shows like like This American Life, and and, pe- and you've left, and your distribution is not on the radio at all, right? It's now exclusively through uh, the podcasting channels. That's um, right. And so, do you agree with Jenna about some of the advantages? And and also, do you agree that it's that it's more than just a distribution? That it's also like allows a, for a different kind of artistry. Yeah, I do. I, it is a distribution mechanism, but I would argue it's also a medium. Like it's a different container in which to deliver audio. And so, I see like an incredible amount of creativity happening in podcasting, in a way that I really haven't heard from radio in. In years, um, sorry, there's a phone ringing in this room. Um, that old-fashioned I, media, the tele- medium, the telephone. We've got old meeting new, uh, and and I think like we have Gimlet has kind of a point of view about what really works in podcasting, and and it's a little different than radio. Like we're um, for a couple reasons. One is like if you make a radio show, it has to be a certain the distribution mechanism I don't think that much about, um, but it has to be a certain length. Like you have a clock. I bet if you looked up in your studio right now, Mark, like there would be an image of a clock that's either 30 to 60 minutes long and all the content you have at some point will have a break in this hour and that break will be a fixed time. So our segments are, are fixed. In podcasting, you don't have that. Like a podcast can be however long or however short it, short it needs to be to serve the um, story or serve the audience. And then two is if you want to get to a big audience in radio, um, the way you have to do it is you have to own a broadcast tower. So you have to have a big, an AMFM broadcast tower and you have to have a license from the FCC, or you have to go around to a number of um, essentially station managers in different, um, different markets around the country one by one and convince them that they should take your show and expose it to their audience. And so I think you just get a different like kind of risk profile that comes with the show that needs to be approved by a number of gatekeepers than you get if you make a show that you can simply make and hit a button and distribute. And we think what works in the medium is just is, is podcasting is a little different. And I'm happy to, to, to talk about what, what those things are for, that we believe, although we're, you know, we're a year into our company, so we're still learning. Well, definitely. I, w- I want to get to that. Um, I want to remind our listeners that I'm Mark Oppenheimer sitting in for Colin McEnroe on The Colin McEnroe Show. And today we're talking about podcasting, um, the way that it's a different distribution channel, but also the way that it might be a different medium, that artistry might be different on shows like um, Reply All or The Mystery Show or Serial, uh, which, which many of you have heard. Um, in a second, I want to get to Nicole Taylor, who has started her own show, Hot Grease, which is a podcast on Heritage Media Network. Um, but first, I want to listen. We actually have a clip of Hot Grease that I think we should listen to before welcoming Nicole. So here it is. You're in the business of chicken and waffles. I mean, some people say that waffles, the whole chicken and waffle craze was born at Wales. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. that's what I say too. Legendary, really club. It wasn't a restaurant in Harlem, USA. Yeah, well, Um, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. Um, Well, that's like what, you know, me and my, my partner, Sam, he's from Brooklyn originally. And, you know, we got when we first opened up, everybody said, oh, who's from the south? 
You know, and we do have southern. You know, we have a southern flair. I like to say we have a southern flair with a Harlem shake. But, oh you know, my God. you know, that's our little catchphrase. <laughs> that's our little catchphrase. But um, we, uh, you know, we, you know, when we did it, we said, you know, listen, man, this is a New York dish. You know, it may it have gotten is. famous in Cali. People may think it's from the South, but it's really from New York. <laughs> All right. That's uh, Nicole Taylor of the show Hot Grease uh, talking yeah, with was... talking with John Seymour, right? Yeah, from Sweet Chicks. Do you want to tell us about your show? Like, why are you in podcasting? Is it because of the lower barriers to entry? Is it because of the different kind of artistic freedom that you have? What brought you into that, into this channel? I've been in food, doing different things in food for quite some time. And I moved to New York City and found out about Heritage Radio Network, um, which Heritage Radio Network is in the garden of Roberta's Pizza, which is like a hipster DIY restaurant empire. Um, And at the time when I started, hot grease there are only like 10 shows there weren't a lot of podcasts at the time and um i i pitched the show to them saying hey there's a lot of great things happening around food right now but i don't hear enough uh black and brown voices in that conversation so i said hot grease will be the show that lifts um those voices up in food so for five years i did a podcast where I interview folks right in the Garden of Robertus. So how many episodes have you done, Nicole? I've done 167 episodes of Hot Grease, and I took a break to write a book uh, for like a year and a half, and now I'm back trying to reformat in this new storytelling way. It's been challenging, but I'm, I'm having fun. Can you say something about the economics of this? I mean, I assume you don't have a team of five doing that. Do you do everything yourself? <laughs> and uh, is there, is so there any was, revenue coming in? Uh, no. Yes and no. Uh, so when I started on Heritage Radio Network, of course, there was an engineer there. There were two or three other people that helped with the, you know, putting together the show. But it was very low fives. You know, bring someone in the studio, interview them. You know, I'd do a little prep. But since transitioning to trying to do a more storytelling format, I've partnered with a well-known sound engineer and editor. Uh, and it's just me and her. We have an intern this summer who's been doing a lot of transcribing. Uh, but she leaves in August. And we were just having a meeting last night about, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do with all this tape that needs to be transcribed? Um, the, to answer your question about are we making money, I would say no. However... I've been able to turn this podcasting thing into other opportunities, i.e. a book or speaking engagements or writing opportunities. So it hasn't paid directly, uh, but indirectly I've been able to leverage the podcast. I'm Mark Oppenheimer sitting in for Colin McEnroe on The Colin McEnroe Show. We're taking your calls on the history and the present state of podcasting at 860-275-7266. Before we go to a break, I want to ask all of you, all four of our guests, uh, to say something about the history of podcasting. I mean, w- w- does anyone talk about what was the first or what was the first big one? What's what's the deep backstory uh, to all of this? Um, Nick, do you want to say something about that first maybe? Well, I mean, so we, I think we're going to touch upon this in the next segment uh, when we talk about sort of the cultural history of public radio and how it influences podcasting. But uh, I would say that the early communities of the podcast uh, distribution channel is um, very much of the tech community. 
it's a bunch of people sitting around talking about technology-related issues, and um, they're kind of sending that back and forth within their own communities. Um, and over time, um, sort of more prescient public radio stations, a lot more prescient radio stations in general, sort of adopting the, the medium. And I, in my head, at least when I first encountered the forum, it was really through this American life. Where I, I, it, it is a method for me to gain access to that show um, when I don't have personally have a radio. And for me, that was my benchmark. But for others, I suspect it's also the same coming out of the public radio relationship. Jenna, what about for you working in public radio? When did podcasting come onto your radar screen? Well, I guess I always, um, you know, early in podcasting, I always just kind of thought of podcasts as uh, a more convenient way to get my favorite public radio shows. (laughs) Um, So I was listening to This American Life and The Moth and all those um, that I could have heard on the radio, but... You know, part of why podcasting is great is because it's on-demand audio, so you can listen whenever you want. So that was early podcasting for me, for sure. And Matthew, do you feel like you're in – is there synergy with public radio or is it in, in competition with it? Um, I don't think we're in competition with public radio for listeners. I mean, a lot of the things that a lot of the things that are great about the best podcasts are things that public radio has been doing for years. You know, like – telling great stories with editorial integrity and real voice and having like creating an authentic connection with the listener. Like those are all things that public radio does an amazing job at. And um, I I actually do feel like we're bringing new listeners into the medium that may discover podcasting through us and then say, well, what else do I want to listen to and immediately go to this American life or go to, um, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me or Freakonomics or Radiolab or other public radio shows that are big in, in podcasts. Um, we do compete for talent, yeah. Uh, there aren't, there's not a huge ecosystem of a developed ecosystem of people that know how to do this stuff, and a lot of them are currently working in public radio, like Jenna and like I used to. I came from public radio <laughs> I was a producer. Nicole, did you, did, did you ever feel like, oh, I could go off into podcasting or maybe I would try to get work in public radio? Oh, I never even really gave that a thought. I mean, some of the early podcasts that I listened to were definitely public radio uh, podcasts. I was a huge fan of News and Notes when Farai Chadea was a host there. Um, Splint, the Splendid Table and KCRW Good Food, which is on the West Coast. But I never even thought about it. I didn't, I didn't even think it was possible to even get a job with any of those those folks or do any work with any of them. I used to think it was impossible to do radio about food, that food didn't – you couldn't talk about food. You just had to be there. But I'm, I'm starting to change my mind. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll take your calls about the history and the present of podcasting, 860-275-7266. I'm Mark Oppenheimer in for Colin McEnroe. I've been listening to Serial. Millions have been listening with me. They know when I say I've been listening to Serial. I don't mean Rice Krispies. Snap, crackle, podcast. That's got me caught like a bass on a line that I broadcast. Good way to get your pod on. All the kids at Woodlawn. Hey, and Adnan, Jay, and Don, and I'm Mark Oppenheimer in for Colin McEnroe on The Colin McEnroe Show. He is bicycling around Europe. And if you want to be his Facebook friend, you'll find out a lot about it. We're talking about the history and the present of podcasting today with my guests Nicole Taylor of the show Hot Grease, Matthew Lieber of Gimlet Media, Jenna Weiss-Berman, director of audio at BuzzFeed, and Nicholas Qua, the founder of Hot Pod, a podcasting newsletter. Hey, Nick, how do people sign up for your newsletter? Or is it like invitation only? Nah, man. It's uh, if you want to sign up for it, you should go to tinyletter.com/hotpod. Tinyletter.com/hotpod. Um, before we get back into talking about um, 
podcasting and the economics of it. And I also want to talk about diversity within it, which is something we began uh, to to touch on. And before we take some of your calls at 860-275-7266, we'd love to hear what you think about podcasts. What do you listen to? Um, what do you feel is missing? Is there anything out there in the podcasting ecosystem that you think, if that existed, I would subscribe to that on iTunes, but it doesn't? would love to hear from you. But before we do, I want to hear um, a clip from one of the shows that uh, Gimlet Media produces. This is from Mystery Show. I have a feeling that if he was six foot, he would have said, "I'm happily six one." I have a feeling he's, I have a feeling he's five eleven, and a half. Here's what I think I should do for you. What if I found out how tall Jake was once and for all? Well, that's good. I think you'd have a better chance of doing it than, than I would. So what? What is okay? What is the bare minimum you will settle for? Um, I would settle for word from Jake himself. And if he's like, it's like I wrote on my website, I'm happily six foot tall. <laughs> like, I'm happy with it. That means I'm right in the middle of it. Boom, six foot. Like, I'm just lounging right here at six foot. I, I, he seems like an honest guy. I would accept that. I would take him at his word. Okay. So, word from the man himself. Okay. So, I can do it. I can do it. All right. All right. I should have set that up a little better. That's uh, Starley Kind's mystery show in which she's trying to solve the mystery of just how tall Jake Gyllenhaal uh, or Gyllenhaal, if you're listening to Gimlet Media, is. Uh, She received a request from a cartoonist named David Rees, uh, who claims to be an artisanal pencil sharpener. And he said, I want to know how tall Jake Gyllenhaal is. And so Starley Kind set out to do that. Um, Matthew, your, your network produces that show. Is that right? Yes. And so could you tell me, like, is that a concept? Is what she's doing, would that ever have worked for public radio? Or is that, um, you know, is, is that made for podcasting? I, I think it's made for podcasting. And, like, do I think it could ever be on radio? Yeah, I think it could. But it would require a real feat of persuasion to to a lot of people. And when you try to, that that we don't have to convince in order to get this in front of our audience. Um, and well, I guess what I mean, like Mystery, Sh- Mystery Show is amazing. Like we are incredibly proud of it. We think it doesn't sound like anything that came before it. It, it just, and it's, it's hard to describe because it mixes many genres. It's like, it involves real investigation and journalism, but it's also comedy. It feels, it's completely true, 100% true, but sometimes it feels like a, like a fiction film. It feels a little bit more like film than it does like radio. And so when you, if you went and shopped the show around to, to um, program directors, local stations, and said, hey, we're going to do a show where we solve mysteries, and one of the mysteries is how tall is Jake Gyllenhaal? I think, there was, I think it's like when I first heard that, I was like, hmm, I don't really quite know what to make of this. Um, and so I just think, I think having not having to ask for permission and having the kind of creative latitude to really execute this kind of thing and invest in it because you know mystery show requires a small team of producers working for many months in order to make it real and you know we have we have um, bands that score each episode with different custom music soundtracks and we put a lot of artistry into it to make it work it sounds very easy breezy when it works um, but it, but it requires a ton of um, artifice to make it happen. And I think being able to do that in the radio model, it's not impossible. I mean, um, but I think it's, a, I think it's tougher to, 
I think it's tougher to convince everyone you need to convince that it's worth doing, whereas in podcasts, like, there's just less risk um, because you don't have to displace another show in order to create a new one. Well, one of the things that my friends who work in public radio will always talk about is that public radio really, really wants things perfect, that there's a particular aesthetic. Uh, you know, not only do you have to come in just on the second before the music does, I mean, not only is there, not only is there this perfection of or perfectionism of chronology and timing, but also, you know, they will have you slam a door 20 times to get the right sound of the door slam. And, <laughs> uh, you know, I've been, I've been through this, right? I mean, and it's, it's, there's tremendous artifice in it. Um, does, does podcasting throw out the artifice or does it just replace it with a different artifice, one of sort of casualness and one in which you're allowed to say like and um? That's that's I, for I any of, that's that, for any of you, by the way. But you go ahead and start, Matthew. I'll just say I think the, the beauty of podcasting is that it's open to many different kinds of formats, and you see you hear some shows that are very loose and baggy, totally unedited, but are also like fun and riveting and fresh, and then you hear other shows that are highly edited and like little jewel little boutique jewel boxes. Um, if you went around Gimlet Media, um, you would find an, a lot of perfectionists. Um, you would find people who are incredibly committed to the excellence of the form. Um, it doesn't sound like um, radio that that you've heard before, but um, there's a strong belief that it should be great. Uh, but so, great but can I mean feel definitely. Like you many come from the heritage of public radio in terms of the sound, like because when I hear Mr. Show and I and I really like it, it reminds me a lot of Wiretap and it. And it, you know, when I look at sort of the the lineage of all the producers that work on the show, that there are overlaps with the public radio aesthetic and and the sound, and, and also in alignment with the possible public radio audience. Is that is that? Yeah. Do you think that's right, Matthew? Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, like Starley herself, who's the host and like the creative vision behind Mystery Show, was a producer on This American Life. I mean, in many ways, like Ira Glass is the godfather. Ira Glass is the godfather of all of this that we're doing here at Gimlet. Not in all of podcasting, but like a lot of the biggest, most popular shows now are coming out of that tradition of narrative storytelling. And we're certainly putting our twist on it and going in new directions and trying to be fresh because I think you have to be to get to get a big audience in podcasting today. But that comes out of public radio for sure. Jenna, whenever I talk to BuzzFeed people, they will they will smack you over the head with how they don't care at all what legacy media does. They're you know the 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 BuzzFeed pitch you will always get is you know we just we're just doing it the exact opposite. You know they do clickbait, we don't. They do this kind of headline, we don't. Do you feel that like is there is there a legacy you're responding to? You come out of public radio. Is BuzzFeed doing audio and podcasting totally differently? Um, well, something I really like about BuzzFeed is that it's not attached to any specific identity. So, you know, if you're working at the New York Times or at NPR, there are clear expectations of what the tone of what you're working on should be. And, um, and they're, you know, you're expected really not to fail. <laughs> and so I think what I like about BuzzFeed is that uh, it, it's a lot of different kinds of things. So I wouldn't try to put it in any sort of box. And I think, you know, I was tasked with um, starting podcasts here, and I was given very little direction in a way that I loved. Um, it was just kind of like, make this happen. Uh, do so how did you decide what to do? When they said, go start podcasts, how did you decide what the podcast world needed from you? 
Yeah, well, I knew that we had a very tiny team, so we couldn't put, you know, like three or four people on a show. We could put one producer on each weekly show, which is which is a challenge and means that we can't really do, you know, fully produced stories and, um, you know, in-depth reporting, but that we can do really fun, uh, engaging and segmented talk shows. So um, somebody named Julia Furlan, uh, she worked here doing kind of audio quiz type stuff for our website um, before I started, and she had been experimenting with audio, and she had been talking to people around here uh, who could be potential hosts. And she had talked to a lot of internal talent here. Um, you know, everyone wants a podcast, <laughs> and like it's like everyone in the world basically right now. I get emails every day. From and yet, and yet, all of you say that the talent pool is limited, right? I mean, it's everyone wants to do one, but actually, not that many people are that good at it. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is that is a fact. All right, so let's go to let's 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 pause for a second. Let's go to a clip from one of your shows, Jenna, that I think is actually doing very well. This is a clip from another round. Some of the emails that really tripped me out are emails from well-meaning white people who end up saying really racist mm-hmm. Like, hey, I'm on your side, but you black girls do your fair share of touching people's hair without permission. Oh, my Da-da-da-da-da. God. That's a really email that we got. I know the email you're talking about. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I still think about it. Right. It's just, uh, let's not even get into that. Okay, let's not. All right. It's the, it's the happy time. No, I mean, we, okay, happens. we were talking about hair. About our hair being touched without by white people without yeah. permission so uh-huh. it's very which negative thing, context yeah <laughs> right which is the thing that i'm finding a lot of white people don't believe us when we say that yes. you know like they need like to genuinely see it don't for believe. themselves yeah. before they're like oh this really happens to you if they would just bother to listen to multiple black girls especially with natural hair they listen. would see that this is a thing mm. i've talked about it multiple times on mm. my show and really every black girl i know has a story of white people treating her like she's an exhibit at the damn zoo <laughs> So um, that well, actually, Jenna, let's. Uh, why don't you tell us what's going on there? Yeah, so that's um, our hosts, uh, Heaven Nagatu and Tracy Clayton, interviewing Crystal West, who has an extremely popular podcast called The Read. Um, they have about two hundred thousand weekly listeners, which is great for a podcast. Uh, and yeah, they were just talking about some of the emails that they get, and mostly we get really <laughs> loving emails for the show, um, but. They were talking about an email from a from a white girl who was kind of criticizing them for um, saying that for complaining about white people touching their hair without their permission, which is something that um, has come up on the show quite a bit. Something that we get a lot of emails about. It's like it's a real thing and it's really annoying. <laughs> people should stop doing it. Um, so, so yeah, so a lot of what they're talking about is a lot of what they talk about on the show is race. And they talk about it, I think, in a really fun and funny and engaging way. And they were two of the people that we um, kind of tried out when we were deciding what kind of podcast we were going to have. We had we had quite a few sets of people sort of sit down and record a few, and we just knew pretty immediately that um, they were they were naturals. They'd never done anything like this. Tracy has never listened to a podcast, so. Um, it was just, it's been a really fun way to get their voices out there. Tracy had never I, listened to a podcast? Tracy Clayton? Never. Still hasn't, still, as far as I know. So she's pure. Yeah. She's like she's like a Rousseauian <laughs> babe in the woods, right? She's got like Unsullied yeah. by Ira Glass or, or by Glenn Washington or, or by anyone. Um, totally, yeah. We're, we're talking— 
Oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say we're talking about podcasting. For those who joined in on their cars with their radios, uh, I wanted to say that we're talking about podcasting on the Colin McEnroe Show. I'm sitting in for Colin. I'm Mark Oppenheimer. And our guests are Nicole Taylor, Matthew Lieber, Jenna Weiss-Berman, and Nicholas Qua. Um, Jenna, were you going to say something else when I cut you off? Oh, I was just going to say that, yeah, there was something really nice about her never having listened to podcasts, because um, I think a lot of people, their ears are so trained on these voices that they've been hearing for a while. I know that when I got into radio, I was given like voice lessons on how to sound like a public radio announcer. And um, there's something kind of really great about them never learning that and not and us never like you know we've never tried to tell them how their voices should sound um, when they're recording obviously and um, you know just to completely be themselves as much as they can be and um, and so yeah so I think that it, it's been pretty freeing to have them. Heaven has listened to podcasts, but Tracy just hasn't at all. So she's it's really her own. Style. And now she's forbidden to. She's just like not not <laughs> yeah, not allowed. Um, so uh, it, it occurs to me that there's a number of things going on with that podcast, which you wouldn't hear if it were if it were public radio. I mean, um, so one is it's there are, of course, black women on public radio, but it's it's the untrained voice. Right. It's a much more vernacular voice. Um, number two, they're swearing. And <laughs> right, which is which we bleeped out, but they're swearing, and it's not bleeped out on on the BuzzFeed podcast feed, I assume. Um, and uh, or is it? No, no, it's not. Bleeped. It's not. It's not. And the advertisers live with that. Um, and then there there is a certain frankness in what they're talking about. I mean, Nicole, turning to you for a second, you, you bring some of those in. I don't think you swear on your show, but you also talk about um, the South of all things, which I'm I'm always amazed that when I listen to public radio, there's like one identifiable Southern accent, and that's that's Wade Goodwin. And when he comes on reporting from Texas, like you know, it's the it's the Southern guy. And, you know, I'm curious, Nicole, like how conscious are you of doing things for the diversity of, you know, the, the podcast world? Or do you just have to be yourself and let let that, you know, be as it is? From time to time, I still deal with the um, self-confidence thing with the voice because I'm a southerner. I have this very southern voice, as you can tell. <laughs> uh, but so many people email me and said, we love it. Be yourself. Um so I try to do that as much as possible. Also with my podcast, I try to bring those voices in because you don't find them. I mean, there are a ton of food podcasts out, out here and you don't hear Southerners at all. And I'll say also you don't hear a lot of African-Americans or black people or people of color really talking um, in the way that they talk at home. Um, so it's really important that that I do that. And one of the reasons why I love Another Round and the read is because they're themselves completely and you don't hear those voices on podcasts and you don't hear them on, on public radio. Um, you know, and here it occurs to me just for the sake of ethics, I should disclose that, you know, as I said at the beginning, I'm working on a podcast. I'm working on it with with Panoply, which which Nick now works for. Um, and one of the things we're trying to do is talk. It's, it's, it's a Jewish show. It's produced by uh, Tablet, which is an online Jewish magazine. And one of the things we said is, you know, like every other ethnic group or subgroup, we talk amongst ourselves in ways that we don't necessarily talk in mixed company. And it seems to me that one of the things that some podcasts do is they say, we're going to try to invite you into the conversation um, or some some form of it in ways that maybe it isn't had in, in mixed company. I do wonder, though, I mean, these are always going to be niche audiences, right? Like how big can a show get if it's three Jews talking or two black women talking or, you know, I don't know if there's the show out there with Hindus talking or something. But, I mean, is, is, it, is the niche aspect of it baked into concepts like that? 
Well, I'll say this to Nicole. I'm I'm always really concerned about like, am I alienating folks? Um, should I be talking more about this? Should I explain this in depth? Maybe people don't understand. So it's something that I'm trying to deal with as I'm reformatting my podcast of like, do I want to stay in this niche or do I want to appeal to a, to a broader audience? I feel in my gut that people want me to just be myself and just bring on guests and tell stories that are just really unique and engaging and not worry about, um, you know, who's listening so much. Mm-hmm. Nicholas, which way do you see that going? Are you as you look as you track the industry and look at sort of the podcast multiplying week by week, are they tending to break off little niches of the big 300 million person American market? So I wonder about that a lot because I think the the essential tension here is between like you know mass size breadth essentially and sort of depth. Um, and just the nature of podcasts and the way that you experience it, it's very much up there. It's it's very much difficult to to participate in that and the consumption of that medium um, to the extent that, like, I think if you are a person who's already consistently listening to a show, you're more bought into the actual content itself and the actual relationship with the host. So I, you know, it's it, because of just the way that the media is structured and the way that we conduct business and the way we sell ads, you know, large mass amounts of size is the focus and it is the sort of parlance that we talk about when we talk with advertisers. But I think the real true innovation here is, the, is how deep you can go with your specific audience. So maybe, yeah, so your show is coming up. Uh, and I can't you know, speak much about it because, you know, it's, it's yours. I'm not going to take that away from you. Um, if you reach a certain, like, 300K max and you can't really move that needle forward, um, maybe you're not supposed to. Maybe you're just supposed to go deeper and to make sure that the engagement with, with 200,000 out of that 300,000 is substantial and it's you know quantifiable and then we can sort of sort of rearrange the conversations we have when we try to monetize these shows we are going to take a break in just a moment and when we come back i really want to talk about the economics of it because i think uh that is truly um that's the, that's the unknown is how will these things support themselves if they will so we'll be right back on the colin McEnroe show find a podcast that I enjoy and then I go back and listen to every previous episode all in a row practically. Today's show was produced by Betsy Kaplan and me, Kyone Wolf, with help from our interns Alex Dubin, Allison Ehrenreich, and Hallie St. Germain. Our executive producer is Katie Tolarski. The part of Bill Curry was played by Sarah Koenig. For articles, show pages, and photos, visit our website, wnpr.org slash Colin. On tomorrow's show, Mark is back with a conversation about the challenges and rewards of having a big family in 2015. And now, back to Oppie. I'm Mark Oppenheimer pretending to be Colin McEnroe today on The Colin McEnroe Show. We're having a great discussion about podcasts. I'm talking with Nicole Taylor, the host of Hot Grease, a podcast on the Heritage Media Network. I'm talking with Matthew Lieber, the co-founder and president of Gimlet Media, which produces Mystery Show, among others. Jenna Weiss-Berman, who's the director of audio at BuzzFeed and who used to produce for public radio. And Nicholas Qua, who's the founder of Hot Pod, a podcasting newsletter. And he also works in audience development at Panoply.fm. Welcome back, everyone. Hello. And uh, I want to talk to uh, the speak to the question that we started to get into, which is the economics of this. Um, many of these shows have niches. Um, many of them probably have super educated, desirable demographic audiences. Maybe some don't. Um, 
I would love for uh, someone, why don't we say Matthew, to talk about, so what's the money like? Uh, how much, how many listeners are you getting and how much ad revenue is that making for, say, one of your three shows? Uh so we do last in the last month we've probably done four million total downloads and that's an, across an audience of probably roughly a couple million listeners. Um, so which is at in the world of podcasts like actually pretty large scale. Um, if you compare it next to the numbers of web like uh, people reading the web, like if you put it next to the audience of BuzzFeed, it looks tiny. But um, in the world of podcasts, it's pretty healthy. Um, the business model that we have working for us right now is an ad-based model. So um, we have we place advertisements on our podcasts. Um, you hear sometimes right before the show begins, you'll hear an ad, or sometimes in the middle, you'll hear an ad in the same way that when you're watching TV, you'll see ads. Um, we try to make our ads uh, a little more listenable um, uh, or, or entertaining for listeners, although we're totally transparent about what's an ad and what's editorial. Um, and in terms of this show, I mean, so there's a number of factors in terms of where a show, um, where a show becomes profitable, and it depends on how many producers you have on it. It depends on how big your audience is, how many episodes you put out, and um, are your shows and, profitable? Yeah, the show, the shows that we have, like at the show level, are essentially profitable businesses. Yes. And like, is your company in the black? Um, we're, so we're much more focused on growth right now than profitability because we have right. three shows right now, but we're in, on, in development on a, uh, on a bunch more. So like profitability at a company level just isn't something we look at. Right. And um, Jenna, and, what about your, what about your shows at BuzzFeed? Are they, are they paying for themselves and are they paying some chunk of the host salaries? Yeah, well, we actually just launched um, just about three months ago, and our plan was to wait a year before we even started looking into sponsorship, but we were lucky enough to have a lot of people approach us, I think, because BuzzFeed is a pretty big name. Um, and so we're just now putting together uh, ad packages, and we'll you'll start hearing ads um, in about three weeks on the shows. Uh, so we're not right. totally sure. Yes. Yeah, so Can't we wait. Don't totally know, um, <laughs> so our listener experience will... is going to be interrupted in three weeks is what you're saying. Yes, exactly. <laughs> now, will the ads be from Audible, MailChimp, and Squarespace? Um, not so far. They're actually, they're more, um, in line with what we're doing and you'll hear more about them. I also, I don't think that the ads have to be, you know, soul sucking. I think that Gimlet has actually done an incredible job of really doing these like beautifully produced, uh, you know, ads that you look forward to. They do these, um, these ads where they have like little kids reading an ingredient list, uh, <laughs> rather than just doing kind of like a boring read through. And I think it's, it's really inspired a lot of people. Um, Matt, I hope you don't mind if we do a little bit of copying some of the <laughs> types of things you've been doing in a different way, but you know, we want to, I, I really like how you guys have turned the ads into real little stories themselves. Um, Matt, cool. you guys are working with Ford, right? Yeah, Ford Motor Company. How'd you land them? That's like a big land, right? That's bigger than MailChimp. Like, how'd you... Because I would imagine, and I'll put this to all of you, I would imagine that there are advertisers who are skeptical of podcasts. But then you also read articles like Ann Friedman's article from, from The Times not long ago in which she said, oh, no, no, advertisers love podcasts because, because it's so intimate, because the host is right in your ears, because you can't escape it if you want to get to the other side and hear how the story ends. So, I mean, is this, is this an easier sell for the ads teams or is this a harder one? Um, yeah, well, 
So Ford Motor Company sponsored season two of Startup. They came to us because they were interested in this emerging medium. They also felt like podcasts were pretty connected to cars because half of the listening to radio in the U.S. happens when people are in cars, and they saw that podcasting was going to um, be an interesting factor there. Um, and we uh, and so we did a season-long campaign with them, and we produced it and um, tried to make it interesting. I think... Um, uh, so my experience with advertisers is that um, they like podcasts because to the, in today's world of media, like it's just very fragmented and very noisy. And I think in a really noisy world, podcasts promise a signal. And you'll hear like listeners when they talk about their favorite podcasts, they really have like a strong connection to them. And podcasts play like a almost like a companionship role. And so... That's for the lonely part. commuter, like stuck in traffic for three hours, like, yeah. you know, Sarah Koenig is your buddy. Exactly. And right. so that's something that's that's attractive. Um, I think we haven't seen, I mean, the total market for podcast advertising is not huge. I mean, the, it's not like we're able to co- go in and like scoop up television budgets or something like that. I think it's still in the experimental phase, but... Um, we're seeing a shift now from the initial set of advertisers who were really focused on what's called direct response. So mm-hmm. the audibles of the world, the Squarespace of the world that are trying to you know, get people to take a certain action, like sign up for a service, and seeing a shift more toward brand advertising like a Ford or like a Microsoft who are trying to you know, create, like, you know, um, create an image in the world and, and, and help communicate the story of what they're trying to do. Sure. Nicole, I noticed that on Hot Grease, which, as you've said, is a one-woman production, that there are ads. So w- where did those come from? I'm, are you also a sales team? <laughs> I am. Uh, with the new version of, of Hot Grease podcast, which is all on SoundCloud, we just recently put out about four podcasts from an event um, down in Austin, Texas, and we partnered with um, Humanities Texas, which is actually a, like a nonprofit, I would say. So I would say that I am still actively working on my business model, and I've given myself three months to really make some money because I, I really don't know if my producer and editor will, will stick <laughs> stick around. I'm, I'm being but funny, I, but it's, it's... But I heard Whole Foods ads on one of your podcasts. Now, was Heritage Radio, uh-huh. was your network putting those in? Yeah. So okay. Heritage Radio Network now has about 30 shows. They're a nonprofit, actually. Um, but they're most of the I, I will say this, that most of the hosts are, are not getting paid. Uh, so that's really just paying for the studio and for production. But I spent four years there and, and never got a dime. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Hey, Nicholas, so are there ethical considerations in that we're not talking about yet? I mean, I know that one of the things you hear a lot on podcasts is you hear these host reads, right, where all of a sudden the host, the person you've come to trust, your your commuter buddy will break in and tell you to buy Harry's razors or, you know, Big Pete's granola. And uh, that's not something you hear on public radio where the ho- where they have different voices um, giving you the, the ad cell such as it is. So are there are, are those is that an ethical consideration? Are there others? Uh, I think uh, the mindset of the baseline for the ethical consideration is as long as the listener is can unambiguously tell what is part of the content or part of the discussion itself and what is an ad, as long as that is established, and of course that's a subjective line, um, then everything is sort of in the clear. Um, there are a lot of sort of conditions of positionality and um, situations in which it could sound or seem like an endorsement. And that's, I, my sense is that that 
is something that's endemic, endemic to the form and will be sort of like fueled out on a case-by-case basis. But um, wider system level uh, uh, ethics, I, you know, this is not public radio. And so we don't run by the same public radio impetus or social responsibilities. Um, and I think from that perspective, uh, I would like to say no, actually. I think it's pretty clear as long as we're we hold ourselves responsible. Well, for the most uh, self-centered and least ethically concerned part of this show, I want to turn to all of you in the two minutes we have left and ask you um, for some endorsements of things that we should be listening to. It is, it's a big but young world of podcasting. And first of all, I'd like maybe Nicole to tell us how, if we want to listen to your show, how we can, and then maybe send us to something else you think we should listen to. Totally. So if you want to listen to all of my older show, shows, you can go to heritageradionetwork.org and look for Hot Grease, as well as SoundCloud. Uh, I have a bunch of new shows on there, a bunch of new audio, and you can put in Hot Grease Podcast. One of my favorite podcasts, new podcasts that are it's out right now, it's called Gravy, and it's produced by Southern Foodway Alliance. They do a lot of Southern food stories, and they're on iTunes and all those great podcasting spots. Terrific. And we're going to link to all these shows uh, on our website. Um, Jenna, uh, how can we hear your shows? And then also, what else should we be looking for? Um, You can hear my shows by going to buzzfeed.com slash podcast. We have um, one called Internet Explorer and one called Another Round. Um, And I I really love the Gimlet shows. So Mystery Show is really awesome, as we all know. Um, Reply All is really great. Uh, all those shows. I, and if you really want to learn about the podcast industry, listen to the first season of Startup, which is also a Gimlet podcast. So good stuff. Great. And, and Matthew, producer of those, <laughs> how do we hear those? And then what would you send us to? Uh, you can find all our shows at gimletmedia.com, G-I-M-L-E-T media.com. Uh, other shows, uh, Love Another Round, and I'm not just saying that because Jenna's on here. I listen every week. Um, and... <laughs> Uh, there's a show called Long Form, which is a show that interviews writers about their craft. If you like Fresh Air and Terry Gross, that's kind of a different spin. Um, I love that one. Terrific. And then, um, Nicholas, from your perch, writing the industry standard newsletter, what uh, what would you send people? How do they sign up again, and what would you send people to? Uh, you can sign up for HotPod at tinyletter.com slash HotPod, H-O-T-P-O-D. Um, and I want to call out three shows. Um, the fourth show I was going to call out Audio Long Form. It's one of my favorites, and it's one of the first I've ever heard and stuck with me for a long time. Uh, but I think folks would, re- would really enjoy Song Exploder out of the Radiotopia network. It kind of brings you through the, the creative process of, ma- of creating a song from scratch on track by track basis and i think that's that's a fantastic use of the the podcast uh creative format i'm also gonna plug the gist which is a really really good slate show i work with mike pesca he's a wonderful force of nature i'm also a little bit afraid of him awesome and finally people should check out the hollywood perspectives because i do think that one of the more overlooked uh companies doing podcasts is Grantland and ESPN more widely. All right, we um, got we got to go. But now, if you wondered where Mike Pesco went, that's where he went. I'm Mark Oppenheimer, sitting in for Colin McEnroe. Thanks to all four of our guests, and I'll be back tomorrow talking about big families.